welcome to Clockworks, a Legion podcast. I'm sorry it's been such a long time since we recorded an episode. I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Paul Moffat. And we took an unexpected hiatus because of life. But we're back! And we're gonna be back until the the season and show ends. I'm so excited and also sad. (laughs) Yep, me too. Me too. So... Today we are talking about Clockworks Chapter 25. We didn't think of a name for this episode. Uh, Let's just call it Cinnamon Girl. Let's just call it Cinnamon Girl. Cinnamon Girl is directed by John Cameron and written by Noah Hawley. Obviously we have seen both of these people before. John Cameron directed Chapter 22 of Legion. She comes in colors again. The flashback to Charles and Gabrielle's meeting. He also directed chapter 14, I Am Superman, the alternate universe uh, where David is all the different Davids. Apparently he directs the alternate reality episodes. Apparently. And I talked about this when we talked about chapter 22, but he also directed the episode of Fargo where the I Can Help robot. I can help. Noah Hawley, who wrote this episode made this show (laughs) um this is the only episode of the season credited only to him Hmm. as a writer interesting so he's a joint writer on a couple of other episodes this is the only one that's just him all right well let's get into the beat by beat tick by talk tick by talk we should have called it that from the very beginning we should have and yet we didn't too late now or is it Yeah, it's too late. Okay, go ahead. So we have no previously, no nothing. We just go straight into a forest where we have Oliver Bird. The return of Oliver Bird, finally. Oliver is pulling a wagon, picking up various objects. He voiceovers about finding lost things and people who have lost their minds. He finds a baby in a basket and takes it home. Before he gets home, he meets Wolf a.k.a. Jerome, a.k.a. Derek from <laughs> The Good Place, a.k.a. I can't remember his name from from uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yep. He's a great actor who I love. Jason Manzukis. Yes, love him. So for the purposes of this episode, I'm just going to call him Wolf. Mm-hmm. Wolf asks him about the baby... Melanie emerges from the house and shouts at Wolf to go away. The two of them bring the baby inside, and the camera zooms out to reveal that they are inside of a red planter on a fire escape in a city. Back in Melanie and Oliver's home, they discuss the baby, and Oliver reveals that her name is Sydney. This is a baby Sid. The wolf bangs on the door and has brought someone he found in the woods, Cynthia. Melanie takes her in, and the wolf leaves, growling. We see Sid grow up in the woods with Oliver and Melanie as her parents and Cynthia as her friend. They build a wall, fairy houses, go for walks in the woods to gather things that are forgotten by people in the real world. I, first of all, we you kind of uh, interrupted yourself to say this and I want to add my voice to like first of all how excited I am to see Oliver to see Jermaine Clement again longtime listeners to our show will know that I love Jermaine Clement he's mm-hmm. the best <laughs> so it was so happy to see him again and also Jason Mantzoukas as Wolf is just a delight he sure is he's like you mentioned Derek you mentioned Derek and Adrian Pimento, his uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine character, and like, I know mainly from those places, although he looked familiar when he showed up mm-hmm. uh, on Brooklyn Nine-Nine first, I think. But he's playing here like kind of a mash of those two characters, the like crazy aggressive weirdo-ness of Adrian Pimento and the like wide-eyed... Uh, weirdness yeah <laughs> of Derek he's like he's so perfect for this role because he's got this ability as you see as Pimento and you see him playing it so well here of like he seems like there's no 
he, he can move so quickly from like, there's nothing beneath the surface. He's everything there is, is right on the surface to like, he's can seem very dangerous. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. He doesn't really seem dangerous as Derek, but on Brooklyn Nine-Nine he did. And here he's like playing up that everything he's, uh, his whole self is on his sleeve, but there's also like something really aggressive and dangerous underneath it too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think it's a really great casting and really great performance. I love him. And also it fits, like, not to go on and on, but, like, that two-levelness fits this whole episode of, like, it's a fable, nothing is real, everything is metaphorical and symbolic in this whole episode. Mm-hmm. And kind of in this whole show. But at the same time, it's, like, both... Everything is metaphorical and nothing is metaphorical because they just take the metaphor and make it extremely literal. <laughs> right? Yeah. Absolutely. There's also the the return of Melanie. Yes. Who I oh, missed. Yeah. I mean, you're talking a lot about Oliver, but uh, to have both Oliver and Melanie back, at least for an episode, is really nice. I was nervous that we just left them. They went off to their ice cube together at the end. And it's, so it's good to have them back again and to have kind of an ending to Melanie's arc in this. This episode I think is my favorite Melanie mm. of the show. Yeah. I really like uh Jean Smart. Jean Smart I really like and I like her performance as Melanie. But Melanie was often like I didn't feel like we could ever trust her. Yeah. And then in this second half of season one and into season two she like was had lost her mind a lot of the time right yeah absolutely absolutely and here we it's just it's like gene smart got to play melanie as four different characters Mm -hmm. i really like this one yeah a lot actually i think it's my favorite melanie Mm -hmm. so we dive into this episode with absolutely no warning. Yep. Uh, coming from the last episode where David took down the entire plane, killed a bunch of people, etc., and took Sid's mind away from her. So when I was first, the first time we watched this episode, as soon as uh, Oliver said, people who've lost their minds and then found a baby, I was like, oh, it's baby Sid. Right. But you were didn't know until they said her name is Sydney, hey? No, and that may just mean I'm stupid. Not necessarily. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't I didn't necessarily expect that the baby was Sid because Sid's not a baby. Yeah. Because when people have lost their minds they come here. I would not have been at all surprised that they met Sid. Yeah. But that she was a baby I wasn't expecting. No. Yeah. So I didn't immediately figure out that this baby was baby Sid. Mm-hmm. Though, speaking of, like, when people lose their minds, they come here. I should have known because David says she can't fight us if she doesn't have a mind. And then Oliver says when people lose their minds. But also the, like, it's again what I was saying about they take the metaphor and make it literal. And then also make it so it's nothing but metaphor. That, like, lose their mind is usually a euphemism for mental illness. Mm Mm-hmm. But when David makes Sid lose her mind, that means something different. Yeah. Like she doesn't have it anymore. And that the baby that Oliver finds is a baby who has a a person who has lost their mind. Mm -hmm. So they don't have possession of their mind anymore. It is lost to them. That's not the same thing as mental illness. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But then that also... Like, I can't ignore the people lose their minds means mental illness. And this is a show about David's mental illness. And if the astral plane is where people go when they lose their minds, and David spends a lot of time in the astral plane, does that imply that the fact that David can go to the astral plane is because he has lost his mind or is in danger of losing his mind or is on the edge of losing his mind? Or does it mean that uh, going to the astral plane is why he lost his mind? Does it suggest that psychics are all insane? (laughs) Maybe, or that people who lose their ability to remember, yeah, or whatever. Just like Char- David, Charles, and Farouk spend a lot of time on the astral plane. Mm-hmm. Have all three of those people already lost their minds? A little. Right? Yeah. 
Maybe it's, uh, and I mean, Oliver spends all of his time in the astral plane. And he, the first time we met him, has lost his mind in the kind of sense of he doesn't remember who he is. Mm-hmm. The more literal sense of his mind isn't his anymore. Well, and then the other thing is the very first time we meet Oliver Bird, mm-hmm. he is telling a fable to yes. the story. He's telling the story of the little bunny who got too close to the ocean. <laughs> I barely remember. <laughs> but he tells a story. Yes. To start his thing. And it's like a little fable, like a little fairy tale. And then you have this world where he's just like gone even further right into it. He lives the fairy tale now. This entire... Yeah, absolutely. This episode is like the Noah Hawley, uh, let me tell you a story thing that he does in all his shows. Mm -hmm. uh, Both his shows. um, Where a character just like answers a question by telling a story that doesn't obviously relate to what's happening. It's like you take that, push it to the extreme, and you get this episode. Yeah. Where the entire show just takes a break to tell us a fable that has a moral that is applicable to the show. And we'll talk at the end of Mm. this episode what that might be, our ideas of what that is. This is like taking that tendency and pushing it to to its limit, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you're so right that Oliver is one of the, like, most that kind of character that we have. Mm -hmm. I said that so badly, but... (laughs) (laughs) The story they seem to be in is possibly The Three Little Pigs, because it talks about a house of paper and then they're living in a house of straw. (laughs) Mighty Mighty straw, straw. it should hold. And then they build a house of sticks... And then Sid and Oliver are building a wall of stone. Mm-hmm. And eventually they move into a house of bricks. Yeah, and they'll talk later about the wall of stone and what it means. But mm-hmm. like, we have the house of straw, then a house of twigs, and then a house of bricks, a mm-hmm. house of stone. Um, and the wolf is big bad wolf. And it, like we've talked, I keep saying, I keep driving this into the ground. But like, is it a metaphor or is it not? How, how is he actually a wolf? Like, let's stop for a moment. Maybe it's the three little pigs. He's the big bad wolf. He blows the house down. He howls and has he sharp teeth. He howls and has sharp teeth. Like, what is he? He's the... I was surprised that he wasn't Walter. Hmm. From the first season. Because Walter was the wolf. Yeah. And the wolves were after us kind of thing and it feels like maybe they couldn't get walter uh what's his name gray mm-hmm. i can't remember yeah that would have made sense but like that would have uh been good for continuity although it might have been too literal then it might which have been. might which is probably better that it wasn't too literal because the question i have now that i'm gonna ask again and as often I don't expect you or me or either of us to actually have an answer like, okay, we've solved it. But, like, is that wolf, is he, like Oliver, a psychic mutant who has made his home in the astral plane and has a physical body of some kind that he's not inhabiting or whatever? Or is he a metaphor that oliver has created or oliver and melanie together like i'm, I'm giving oliver the agency because he's the psychic mm-hmm. but or is he a human who like cynthia and sid has lost his mind and embraced like predatoriness mm-hmm. or is he a literal wolf because maybe animals have uh Whoa, I didn't even think of that. Minds? <laughs> animals certainly have minds. I mean, maybe animals have, like... <laughs> mutant powers? Mutant powers? Like, if you were a wolf that was also a psychic, would you manifest when you were talking to humans with a human face? <laughs> or is he some kind of, like, psychic natural phenomenon like the Time Eaters? That's what I thought. 
was that this is the consequences. This is just like the time eaters. This is the consequence of trying to do this, of trying to live only in the astral plane. So he's like an equal and opposite reaction to like Oliver living in the astral plane? Exactly. Yeah, Oliver and Melanie. So they, Oliver and Melanie didn't create them like with psychic powers, but the universe created them as kind of like a counterbalance. Mm-hmm. Or is he something that just exists whether they're there or not? He's some kind of force of corruption. Yeah. Personified. He could be all of those things. He could be all or any of those things. I happen to be teaching at this very moment a course on werewolves in medieval literature. And he's not a werewolf, but like metaphorically... The idea of, like, a, someone who's part part human, part wolf, and sometimes they're wolfish. And, like, that's all about so many things. But it's mm. about, like, predatory nature of humanity and the connection or lack of connect... The distinction or lack of distinction between human and animal and what makes you civilized and what makes you not civilized and... Why? I mean, it, it, that's all there in this this particular case, and all the cases of like, it's a wolf. It's actually just a hairy guy. Mm-hmm. But we call him wolf, and he acts wolfish. Like that's kind of werewolf light. Yeah. If you want to uh, find out more about that course on werewolves, by the way, you can find it at clockworksacademy.com. Cool. I'll do that. <laughs> anyway, sorry to interrupt with that, but I just find it so fascinating. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And it's clearly, a, as you say, like, it's the Three Little Pigs. It's clearly building most directly on the fairy tale big bad wolf, mm-hmm. who himself is a metaphorical representation of, like, predatory danger. Yeah. Why a wolf rather than any other animal is because in European... uh bestiaries and mythology and fairy tales wolves represent not only a dangerous animal but like an evil one yeah absolutely um i just want to mention that oliver uses and then oliver and and sid use together when they're foraging for lost things they're pulling a red flyer wagon yeah which we have seen in the past before that is uh, david and amy had the red flyer wagon in their past. And so there's a few things throughout this episode that is all in this fantasy, completely other world, but there's little touchstones of this is still Legion. This is still the show you've been watching. And I feel like the red flyer wagon is a little call out to that side of it. I didn't notice that. I didn't remember that David and Amy had a red flyer wagon. Mm -hmm. A five-year-old Sid goes to the edge of the planter to look at the real world, but Oliver won't tell her about it yet. Sid finds a rotting fox in a tree, and the wolf tries to scare her with the idea of death, but it doesn't work. Melanie tells Sid a bedtime story about a a girl with the power of feeling what the animals felt, and not knowing where the animals ended and she began. Cynthia is taken into the woods by the wolf, who gives her drugs and lures her away. Sid continues to grow, and dreams of her life as the other Sid. The wolf comes to blow the house down, and they move to the city. Sid is older again, this time studying math, and she wants to learn about the real world. Oliver tells her to enjoy being young, and that she must learn about love before hate. So what do we think of the story that Melanie tells Sid? Once upon a time, there was a little girl who could feel whatever animals felt. She called this special power empathy. Mm-hmm. Like I said, the whole sh- episode is, here's a story that has a moral that is possibly related to the sh- show. But there also is a story that's yeah. told. And like, it's her special power. Like, is that, it's, I mean, it seems like. Feeling what other people feel is hard. That's like a reference to Sid's actual special power. Exactly. I feel like it's a veiled, yeah, reference to Sid's actual power of feeling, of being other people's bodies. And so it's kind of the kid version of like animals and 
stuff, but also, you know, straight up saying like she didn't, the little girl didn't know, didn't know what to do. Didn't know where she ended and the animals began. Exactly. And she doesn't give her an answer. We don't hear it. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's like if the, if, hmm. Like the word for Sid's power, I would not have said empathy specifically. Definitely not. But it feels like Melanie is deliberately framing Sid's power in a different uh, perspective. Mm -hmm. Telling her, teaching her that feeling what other people feel is called empathy. That empathy is hard because you don't know where you start and end, but it's also good because it helps you understand people. And this is like a way of under a way for Sid to understand her powers in a new way, you know. Mm-hmm. And having a mother who can explain and teach her things—it's kind of like uh, the question that Sid has kept asking: "Who teaches us to be normal when we're one of a kind?" Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking, and I was going to maybe say that at the end, but. <laughs> It is like this whole episode is Sid learning in a whole different way how to grow up. Yeah. And she, so she isn't plagued by those kind of questions anymore. Yeah. And then, but the deal too with the dead fox and the maggots, like, do you have... What do you think about that? Well, the fox, well, the, she finds this dead fox that probably the wolf killed or who knows. It's kind of like a trap almost. Yeah. He lures her over and is like, death, it's scary. Everybody die. Kids die. Your parents are going to die. Everything's going to die. And and Sid is just like, yeah, mom told me about this. It's all part of life. Everyone dies. That's fine. Like Mm -hmm. she's... It's kind of just demonstrates how well adjusted she is that the wolf really wants to like scare her and lure her away and really clumsily yeah freak her out but she's just like yeah I've been raised to know things it's fine and we see that again when like the beginning of the section where Sid is a little older and Melanie is telling her about, like, you're changing body and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And she goes, like, well, what's chlamydia? And Melanie just like, well, it's like getting a virus. But you get it from unprotected sex. Like, she just, like, straight up tells her. Because yeah. why not? Instead of... And so she's, the wolf has no power over her because she has... She's being raised to know things and not to be scared of whatever the wolf says. This is what, like... One of the things that I think the fable is, one of the themes of this episode is knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. And when they first, like when Oliver first finds the baby and meets the wolf, and the wolf says, uh, make sure you tell her all the terrible things, they can never grow up too fast. Mm-hmm. Like the idea here is contrasting the wolf and Oliver, and and even the way that the wolf talks about Cynthia... She's lost her innocence. What he wants to do with the baby is deprive her of her innocence as soon as possible by telling her all the horrible things about the world. Yeah. The contrast between preserving innocence and erasing it, it feels like... It feels like a naive person, a naive person's version of wisdom to say that you have to face the harsh truths of the world. And that's the wolf's perspective. And I really like the way that the episode just makes fun of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> makes mm-hmm. that ridiculous and then the deal with melanie telling sid what chlamydia is is like it's not a contrast between the wolf telling her truths about the real world and melanie hiding truths it's like how they how they present the truth and like when she says you know it's a like a cold uh for your vagina and sid says bodies are just Got, bodies are weird. Mm-hmm. And Melanie says, I think the word you're looking for is beautiful. Yeah, exactly. That if you frame things differently, the same truths. And like jumping ahead slightly, but 
we'll get to it, but Oliver is going to talk later about how it's about the order of things. Yep. Melanie and Oliver aren't hiding anything from Sid. They're just presenting things to her in an order and with a frame mm-hmm. that the wolf wants to deny her. And that's what loses someone in it, someone's innocence isn't seeing the real world. It's seeing the real world in the wrong order and through the wrong frame. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Hate instead of love. Exactly. And that's what Oliver says at the end of this section is we want to teach you love before we teach you hate. We want you to be young. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I'm old enough. Like, you have your whole life to be old. You're young. Be young. And that is so beautiful. I was saying a second ago that, like, the wolf feels like a naive person's idea of what wisdom is. And what Oliver says feels to me like what actual wisdom is. That, like, you have to learn about love before we learn about hate. Mm-hmm. It's about the order of, like, I love that. I love that idea. Yeah. So much. And also, like, maybe less uh, profound wisdom, but, like, I feel it in my heart as being so true. That, like, if you feel safe when you're young, you'll feel safe when you're old. Mm-hmm. We taught, when you were young, we taught you, we let you be wild because wildness is important. But when you were older, we gave you structure because we wanted you to be safe. Yeah. Like, I, they're the best parents. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I absolutely love their parenting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they move to, they say they move to the gutter. Mm-hmm. The woods to the gutter. So they move to the city, but it's, they're in like a basement apartment, basically. Mm-hmm. And what's weird about it is it feels like they move out of that planter to the city part, but it's also still also on the astral plane. Like it almost felt like that city, that planter was like actually in the real world, but no, it was still like just layers upon layers of the astral plane. Yeah. And I want like, I also wonder all the other people in the city are these other people people in the astral plane or are these are these people real mm, i don't think they're real and if not real then where do they then what are they and where do they come from but that is not real as in they don't correspond to real humans or real mutants mm-hmm. except cynthia's real well it's just like when we had the fake clockworks back in season one there was all these other people there they, they weren't people they were just like set dressing yeah so that it seems like a real place so who's making the set oliver maybe maybe melanie says they moved from the woods to the gutter to escape the knowledge Hmm. again about knowledge and innocence and like but i thought a second ago i said (laughs) they weren't trying to escape knowledge except that actually Oliver says it's about order, the mm-hmm. order of things. You don't escape knowledge forever, but you might want to escape it for now. Right. I'm just not sure. I mean, we don't need to answer, but like, are Cynthia's children real? We haven't got to that yet. We haven't gotten to that yet. Sorry. Don't, don't. Should I start? Should I Why don't you get to that? (laughs) Unless you have anything else to add about this part. No. Okay, go. 16-year-old Sid walks the streets finding lost things. She finds a still-beating human heart. And then Cynthia, standing with two children. Sid tells her to come home and see mom and dad. But Cynthia tells her to come into the alley where they live where Jerome waits. Jerome is the wolf. Sid doesn't want to go into the real world, but Melanie tells her that they are raising her to save it. Sid then decides that they should save Cynthia, because they have raised her to be a good person. The three of them go and take her from the back alley to their home. Sid tries to convince Cynthia that she deserves love and to come home. In the street, the wolf and Oliver meet up 
and have a rap battle. <laughs> Oliver wins, but Cynthia still chooses the wolf. When Sid questions what, what the point was, Melanie tells her that not everyone wants to be saved. Oliver turns Melanie back into her regular clothes and then Sid into her adult self. Sid realizes she has to go back, and then Melanie tells her it's not us or them, it's us and them. So I'm gonna start with what I ended with. Are what are what are Cynthia's children? Their names are Sweetie and Blue. Which is like It's always blue. It's always blue. It's very much like how um Lenny talks. Yeah. She calls people sweetie and it's always blue. So these are not arbitrary names. No. They are Okay, let me just lay the cards on the table here. Okay, do it. I think that Cynthia is a stand in for David. Really? I think that Sweetie and Blue are a hint at that uh, David is controlled by his drug addiction and Lenny in the past. It, there are hints to who Cynthia is and saving her from Farouk, from the dark side, from whatever is Sid's mission. And so this whole thing with Cynthia is a metaphor for David. Okay, okay. When you say a stand-in for David... If you, I totally agree with you when you say it's a metaphor for David. Metaphor for David. Okay. I just didn't, I thought like in the, in the world of the show, Cynthia is David in some way. No. Okay. okay. She's, she's a representative of David in Sid's life. She's like David writ small. What? She's like David writ small on a smaller scale. Oh, yes. The same issues as david yeah mm-hmm. totally i to- think you're totally right and she represents david to sid yeah in this world someone that sid loves who kind of betrayed her who is uh inconsistent in her relationship who, who has issues with drugs has issues with drugs who wants Sid wants to save, but might not want to be saved, might not be able to be saved, and who is, you know, seduced away by a dark psychic presence. Well, and the wolf in the woods is like, Kenny wants you back. Kenny, Mm. who hurt you. (laughs) Kenny, Benny, Lenny. I didn't see that at all. It's, you know, a little close to what... David has gone through. I think you're totally right, Kenny, Lenny, Benny. I can't believe I didn't notice that. Yeah. So then, yeah. So Sweetie and Blue are just, like, they're her children, but they're also just results of her addiction. They're the results of her addiction and the things that tie her to her self-destructive world. Mm -hmm. Also, they're not old enough to be her actual children. No, I mean, if she left when she left and Sid was the age that she was. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah, if Sid was like seven when she left and she's 16 now, she wouldn't have... Oh, no, I guess she could have... No, they could be about right. Ten and six. Okay, yeah, fair. (laughs) (laughs) Time, They'd they'd be about right. It's all time. (laughs) Math's tough. (laughs) What's the... Okay, like, and... uh, Sweetie and Blue... I just took... To fixate on them one more second, the first thing they say, like, do you like vodka? Comes in strawberry and vanilla. Like, that's hilarious in a dark way. Yes. And then, uh, blue's the boy, right? Yeah. It's confusing because Sweetie is wearing all blue, but she's not blue. Blue's the boy who isn't wearing any blue. Um, blue says, uh, choke chain. (laughs) And, like, those two things, I just, like, it's all, it's, A joke, but, like, vodka and choke chains are things that hold you back. Yeah, exactly. Right? They're metaphorical of, like, both of violence and control and dependency and lack of agency is Mm -hmm. what a choke chain does to a dog. Yeah. It's when it it can't decide what it does anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? Ugh. 
And then... So they go to rescue her. They go to rescue her. And they have to take her by force to be rescued. Yeah. I love to like basically kidnap her and do a whole thing with the getting the kids away with vodka. By the way, <laughs> Sid, do you think she's okay? Well, she's a drug addict who lives with a wolf. So, no. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was a great line. <laughs> it is so hard this episode. I have in my notes, we've gone past most of them, but I couldn't do that one. I couldn't go past that one. So much of my notes is just quotes from the episode. Yeah. <laughs> They're both, I think, profound and hilarious. Mm-hmm. This episode is so... Uh, one of the things that this fable world gives Noah Hawley is the ability to just, like, dispense with realism. Yeah. With, like, the dialogue isn't what anyone real would ever say. Mm-hmm. So everything is either a hilarious joke or, like, a... Uh, deep wisdom yeah yeah. (laughs) right exactly it's a very noah holly episode yep do you want to talk about the rap battle i want to talk about the rap battle it's a rap battle it's awesome i like i don't know how to express i when we watched this episode in real time you and i too basically lost it at the rap battle, when, we were just like Oliver's like. There's only one way this can, you know. He says it so like grim. Mm-hmm. There's only one way this can end: a rap battle. <laughs> oh, and if you know Jemaine Clement, you know that like uh, as Flight of the Concords, Jemaine Clement and Brett McKenzie, like one of their sticks was like rap battles that were, you know. The, Funny. the the joke is that they are very not hard pretending to be hard for a rap battle. Yeah. And so they like we know if you know play the Concords that Jermaine Clement can rap, sort of. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> that like this is his element for sure. So much. And this rap battle is fantastic. It's so entertaining and so delightful, and I love it. I love the back and like also the metaphor of it that mm-hmm. it's a battle of ideas that's mm-hmm. what a rap battle is always yeah um and it's again like both push the metaphor all the way until there's nothing but metaphor of like they're battling for uh cynthia using words and ideas because that's all that actually matters mm-hmm. it's like the opposite of uh, Farouk and David's big psychic battle at the end of season two, where they represent all their ideas in images. Mm-hmm. This is like, well, let's skip that and get to what it actually is about, which is expressing the ideas directly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a battle of ideologies. Yeah. And the way that the battle ends, like Oliver wins. He doesn't, his last verse doesn't rhyme. Yeah. And doesn't even have meter. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not really rapping anymore. But he's he wins. speaking truth. Yeah. And he wins by, like, exactly what he said to Sid. You need love before you can have hate. He starts off by, like, swagger and, uh, I'm the shaman, I'm a wizard in a tat, like, but he ends by being, like, people love me and I go to bed happy. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and that would, like, destroy <laughs> the wolf. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Except that it doesn't. Except that it doesn't. He still gets her. Even when uh, Oliver wins, he loses. Mm-hmm. Or even when the wolf loses, he still wins. Like, what does that mean? They say it. some people don't want to be saved. And yes, okay, sure. Some people don't want to be saved. It's up to them. You can't force people to be saved Mm -hmm. but also like philosophically as a statement on the nature of evil even when evil loses it still wins Hmm. in this episode yeah you know yeah if the wolf represents predatory corruption you can't 
regain innocence or something. Mm-hmm. Like it's why it's so important to protect Sid's innocence, because once you've lost it, you've lost it. And that doesn't mean you choose not to be saved, but like you can't re you can't recreate your innocence. Yeah, I don't know if you can hear it on the microphone. We're hearing a a whistle that I have no idea where in the world it is coming from, and I hope you can't hear it. <laughs> I'm just gonna put that right on tape. So if you do hear it, yeah. I'm not doing it. We can't stop it. <laughs> True story. Um, the yeah, the moral is you can't. People, some people don't want to be saved. If we apply that then to David, or like this is kind of Sid's realization about going back to the real world, mm -hmm. is that not everyone wants to be saved, um, but we try to save them anyway, kind of yeah. thing. And uh, it's not us or them, it's us and them. Yeah, I like that too. That was really interesting. Because it is everyone. Because it is like, when it comes to what David is trying to do, which is like, make some changes to save the, to change the past, uh, that's going to affect everyone. Mm -hmm. And so it's everyone who needs to be saved. It's everyone who needs to be dealt with including david including farouk including everybody and this is what like we really said at the end of season two about the shift in perspective of like maybe david isn't the hero maybe david's the villain all along and we said like that's a that's a common thing that legion fandom says and we've said mm -hmm. on this show and really said at the end of season two that like that's not what Noah Hawley is doing in this show. No. One of the things from the very beginning that this show has been doing is complicating this idea of there is a the hero, there is a the villain. Mm -hmm. And this like binary of the good guy and the bad guy who butt heads and one and then they punch each other until one of them wins. Like the show's interested in something more complicated than that. Yeah. And possibly less complicated than that. Mm-hmm. I feel like this episode really articulates that it's not us and them. We've gone round and round this season of like, is David the bad guy? Are we fighting against David? Are we? But like, if you want to save you, you need to save David too. It doesn't mean erase everything bad he's ever done and it doesn't count. Mm -hmm. But it does mean like, you can't save yourself without saving him. And if David's ultimate goal is to reset the universe or reset his life or whatever, this is Sid getting her life reset. Yeah. This is Sid living an entirely different childhood. So now, I mean, we'll see when she goes back to the real world, like she knows both childhoods. But this is like, she now has a whole new formative years that she has been taught by Melanie and Oliver and raised by them to draw on. And to, like, is she going to be a whole different person now going forward? What is this going to affect? I mean, I think it does. Like, it gives her a different perspective on what saving the world entails. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And Melanie says, like, it's not... Uh, you know, what if I don't want to? It's not just about you. Yeah. We're not put on this earth to think only of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And you got it wrong. We're not trying to protect you from the world. We're raising you to be the kind of person who can save the world. Yep. We're raising you to be the person the world needs. Yeah. That's what she says. Yeah, exactly. So all along this season, Sid has been all this like, I need to just like kill David. And it'll save the world. He's going to end the world, so I need to, like, be the one to kill him or whatever. But in this, she's kind of taught... She's taught the love before the hate. She's given a different childhood. Therefore, she is uh, presumably going to do different things now than mm -hmm. just, like, shoot him with a shotgun. Yeah. She's going to be a lot more precise and a lot more loving and a lot more... Uh, careful 
Well, and her goal, like, she's... We've been... She has said a couple of times as the back half of the season that, like, I'm not mad at you anymore. And we mm-hmm. have seen that that was a lie. Yeah. But I think it's true now. Yeah, I think so, too. That, like, in the last episode, she was like, I'm not mad at you anymore. I understand. I'm kind of on your side now. But, like, we now see sides are a red herring. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And she doesn't have to be on his side that, like, stopping him and saving him are the same thing. Mm-hmm. So are we ready to go back into the real world? I guess. <laughs> so Sid closes her eyes and imagines the plane. She then wakes back in her body. She ties her hair back and goes to the lab where the door switch made last episode is still opening and closing. Carrie and Carrie are tending to female Carrie's wounds. Sid comes in and talks to them, saying she's lived an entire second life in the last 20 minutes, and they have to go through the time door. Um, well, actually, Sid, it was 40 minutes. <laughs> True story. <laughs> Male Carrie has made bracelets to follow Switch, Female Carrie says she can't help in her state. The two of them merge, and male Carrie takes on all of her wounds, slumping into a wheelchair. A time eater approaches, and the three of them leap through the time door. Lastly, the title card appears Mm -hmm. at the very end. It's made of several found things, an old boot, a nutcracker, pipes, a wooden spoon, a gear, and candlesticks. We cut to credits. So this was an entire episode of Legion without any David. No David. Except, like, blink and you miss him in flashbacks while Sid was dreaming. Yeah. Which is all just stock footage. Like, no, yeah, yeah. no real Dan Stevens acting in this episode at all. No. I don't know. Like, so that, Yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> and, like, it was, it was very much like they do an episode, a season, or whatever, or more episodes this season that just like we don't care if we stick with our main characters let's just do something else even like there's so few episodes just like even in total in this whole show there's as many episodes as like a series of a show back in the day but they still feel free to go no we're just going to take a whole episode on the astral plane with Sid learning something and you have to go with it and I think that in some ways it drives me crazy (laughs) and in other ways I'm kind of okay with it because I trust that the results are going to pay off. They pay, I feel like they paid off with the Charles and Gabrielle episode Mm -hmm. and I feel like they're going to pay off with this Sid episode. I kind of, you know, I understand why it would drive someone crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Noah Hawley really likes to break the rules of how you're supposed to make a TV show, how you're supposed to make a serial narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, the beats of a proper narrative and all the rules, like he just throws those out the window so often. Mm-hmm. Even within an episode. Yeah. And like, I always like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, partly because... I think I trust that it's going somewhere, but Mm. also partly because, like, this episode, there doesn't actually have to, for me, there doesn't actually have to be a payoff uh, in the future for me to have Mm. thought this episode was worth it. Yeah. Kind of like the Superman episode that we called I Am Superman, chapter 14 in season two, with all the alternate realities. Mm -hmm. That episode never really paid off to anything. Yeah, no, I guess not necessarily. But it was still worth it because... The ideas of it were really interesting. Yeah, because the show, this is like uh, the thing that frustrates people of like an entire show of dream episodes. Yeah. (laughs) An entire show of dream sequences where like they don't care where they get. Yeah. And they suddenly think of the episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Restless, where there's a dream episode, and I know people who hate that episode because it doesn't do anything plot-wise, but, like, 
it's all about the journey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, but I do totally understand why this might drive someone crazy because the main conflict of this series uh, hasn't moved forward at all. No, not at all. And by, like, the little time we have in the real world, Mm -hmm. that doesn't really drive things forward either. No. Except, okay, a little bit, though, of direct payoff is Melanie's whole line about it's not only ourselves that we think of. And then Mm -hmm. we have Carrie and Carrie who know. know that the best way to work things is that Female Carrie is the one who needs to be physically strong, and male Carrie can do his job physically hurt. And so they switch, and he takes on her wounds, and it's just like, it's awful. He's really hurt, and he's not as young as her. No. And so it hurts both of them so much. But it's what they need to do. We've seen this before, him taking on all her wounds. Mm-hmm. And like both times, it is such a powerful image. Yeah, it really is. Of like, again, making the metaphor literal of like, what do you mean we don't think only of ourselves? Well, let's make that literal and visual. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's like painful... And uh, to watch because I care, I like and care about Carrie so much, both of them. But I personally like and care about uh, Bill Irwin's Carrie, Carrie a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So like, it's painful, but it's also beautiful. Mm-hmm. There's something so beautiful in like, I'll be hurt so that you're not. Yeah. You know exactly, exactly. <sighs> and they leap through the time door. And we kind of have been paying attention to where the credits land in this mm-hmm. season. So the credit, the, you know, Mar- FX presents Marvel, whatever, Legion. And this one, it's like literally right at the end. And so it's very much like this was a little interstitial. It doesn't count as part of the main thing. But mm. here it was. They did that too in the pilot of this, or in that, not pilot, in the first episode of this season. Yeah, they did. It was right at the end. Yeah. And we said the same thing that like, that kind of indicates to us that that whole episode was a preamble to the season. Mm-hmm. And this whole episode was like in between episodes. Yeah. It's a little intermission. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the music in this episode? Yeah. There is only one song in this episode. The rest of the music, as far as I can tell, is all written by Jeff Russo. There was some instrumental music that sounded very familiar, but that could just be because it was so melodic. It feels like what it should sound mm-hmm. like. Um, so the, the only song... And the, rap, and the rap battle written by Noah Hawley, I assume? Yeah, I assume so. The, the uh, sum of Oliver's part of the rap battle sounded so Flight of the Concords that it it might have been uh, Jermaine Clement might have helped write the rap battle. Mm. But I don't know. He's not credited as that. Yeah. I could ask him on Twitter. You could. Maybe too late now. I'll ask and see if he answers. Hello, everyone. This is Paul in the middle of editing, jumping in here, cutting myself in here to say... I did ask Jermaine Clement, and he did answer, and this rap battle was entirely in the script as written by Noah Hawley. Jermaine didn't write any of it. But he performed it so well. Alright, back to the show. So the only real song is comes right as the credits happen, which is Cinnamon Girl, originally by Neil Young, covered here by Noah Hawley and Jeff Russo. And it goes... I want to live with a cinnamon girl. I could be happy the rest of my life with a cinnamon girl. And then there are other verses that this cover skips to come to the bridge. Pa, send me money now. I'm going to make it somehow. I need another chance. You see your baby loves to dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to live with a cinnamon girl. Okay. 
What does that mean? <laughs> I mean, the... It's I mean, a I guess the cinnamon girl could be Sid. The cinnamon girl could be Sid. The cinnamon girl could also be Melanie. And Oliver could be speaking. That I want to live... Like, when Oliver says, who would want to go back? I'm going to be happy the rest of my life. Away from every... Like, away from everything with the cinnamon girl. Mm-hmm. There's a sense in the song of, like... It's kind of like a, a idea of I'm going to leave my busy, hectic city life. Like, if you think of the part of the show in the city. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm going to leave all that and live with the cinnamon girl is kind of the idea in the song that Neil Young is singing. And he's even said in interviews, like, he wrote the song when he was in New York and he'd spotted this uh, busker through the crowd and was like maybe we could just run off and be together. Hmm. Uh, and he said his wife didn't like that song. <laughs> but, like, the idea isn't that Neil Young actually wants to go run off with some woman he sees on the street. It's that, like, maybe I could just go live an innocent life. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, what Oliver and Melanie are doing, and it's what uh, Sid could maybe do. Maybe Sid could live with the cinnamon girl, and the cinnamon girl is Oliver and Melanie. And I could be happy the rest of my life, but she doesn't. She comes back to the world because she has things she needs to do. But it's about, the song is about, like, send me money, I'm going to make it somehow, I'm going to live off the grid and a free life, you know? Yeah. That's my thoughts. Yeah, I can see those. <laughs> do you have any thoughts about the clothing in this episode? I have a little bit of thoughts. I, um... The clothing is all very like fairy tale world, pseudo medieval, whatever peasant clothes. Yep. Um, but the clothes that the wolf wears mm-hmm. are feel very similar to the Mad Hatter. Huh. That uh, Lenny wears. Right. And it just draws a a line between the two of them. Um. And then Melanie changes from her just like peasant clothes back into her regular clothes. And Oliver as well goes back into his white suit with the martini. She goes back into her kind of cream clothes and they're just, they're both back in their white, almost angelic clothing. Hmm. And that's really what I see it as is... They're saying goodbye to Sid, and they're both in their white clothes. They're both in the clothes that she can remember, because she's kind of, at this moment, gotten her memory back mm-hmm. of the way they were. And and it's also a goodbye. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're, you're gone now. Melanie and Oliver are, you know, no longer of this world. And so they're, they're dressed angelically. And they were like her guardian angels. They gave her a whole different life. And I feel like their clothing at the very end really symbolizes that. I like it. So that's what I have to say about clothing. I like it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that wraps up this episode, unless you have anything more to say about this episode of Legion. Nope. I would love to hear what people have to think. As of recording this, the whole season has finished, whole series is finished, but if you're, some people I've heard are nice enough to wait until we are have an episode out, so thanks for waiting, and if you want to chat with us about it, please do so. How would they do that, Paul? You can find us on Twitter, at ClockworksCast. You can send us an email, ClockworksCast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Reddit and Instagram by searching for us there or clicking on the show notes. If you like this show, please rate and review it so more people can find it. And if you like the kinds of things that we do, consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash clockworkscast. I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. Goodbye. Goodbye.